Welcome to the Sports Finder Podcast. Let's get ready to rumble! Sports Finder community, we're back with our very popular segment where we speak where we speak to great people from the world of sports. And today it is no different. I have Mr. James O'Connor from the Pittsburgh Knights. James, welcome to the show, buddy. How's things? Uh, great, thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk uh, about what's going on in the world of esports. And uh, uh, I'm I'm the founder. Uh, of the company, and we're partners with the Steelers. We're excited for 2020. The Steelers, that's huge. Um, so, James, before we get into all the esports stuff and you and what you're apparently doing, take us back in time. Where 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 did it all begin for you? Who who was James as a, as a young guy? Uh, I I was a guy who. Grew up playing sports when I was younger. I went to the Marine Corps uh, because I liked like sports and I wanted to pick a competitive environment. And I thought the Marines would provide me a challenge. And in there, I was playing for the base Marine team, and I hurt myself. I hurt my shoulder pretty bad, and I couldn't be as mobile as I needed to be. So I ended up just hanging out on the computer. And uh, somebody bar- let me borrow their computer, and I beat found Counter-Strike the day it launched in, I think, September uh, or November of 2000, and I fell in love with the game, and I never returned to the normal world since, um, except for a couple years later. And and so I ended up becoming one of the uh, better players in the country for Counter-Strike, and then created teams, and uh, had a franchise that was pretty popular in North America, and I played a significant amount of pro-level seasons for Counter-Strike. I counted once, it was uh, 30, uh, but it's a give or take, Um, and so I played professionally for a very, very long time, Um, and I gave it up in 2012, and I thought that esports wasn't going to happen yet, even though I was a true believer. And then Twitch blew everything up, and I decided to come back. And so I created a company. Yeah, I did a couple other things. I, I helped Team Liquid coach their CSGO team in two world finals. I helped Renegades purchase their franchise, and I worked in the back behind the scenes for them for a year. And uh, then I decided to create my own company again, like I have always managed. And I, I, I put together a pretty awesome investment group but I can tell you more about that phenomenal so um talk to me about the transition and the progress of the of the industry as you've seen this since you've been involved for a long long time um so I can tell you from 2012 to now what happened that basically a significant amount of growth happened then the recession hit 2008 uh lost its momentum then it started to pick up momentum, and then live streaming exploded it. So it, when it rebounded, it really rebounded 
to a set, almost creating a little bit of a, I wouldn't say a bubble, but a lot of excitement around something that people thought was new when it had been going on for 20 years. And so um, game developers and the internet, uh, game developers taking advantage of the new uh, internet and phone connectivity uh, and live streaming world all collided to make something that's been going on uh, and catch on fire. So pretty excited about that. Uh, the growth, I can tell you um, from 2012 to 2016 was what I thought would have taken more than 10 years took uh, only a couple. So it's moving at a rapid pace. I can't give you, you know, any numbers or anything, but I can just tell you from 2000 to 2012, uh, esports grew more from 2012 to 2016 in those couple of years than it did that entire decade before that I was part of it. So, uh, getting out of the industry and coming back in, it's moving really, really fast. Absolutely. Um, your, we, I've, I've personally seen it explode over the last three, three to four years. Uh, it's just everywhere at the moment. I think as you, as you, as you mentioned earlier, Twitch really, um, really gave it a platform and yeah. it really just took it to a whole new level. Like it's unbelievable. Now the, the amount of people streaming things on Twitch or, you know, or, or all these different arcades all of a sudden have an international audience. So it's, it's absolutely 100%, as you said, it's just become insane. Um, talk to us about the Knights and where, where you guys are currently at now. So uh, first, I thought it was important to create an awesome ownership group for strategic partners. Um, this is a long-term play. Uh, so the Steelers have invested in the company and provided us a sponsorship agreement meaning that we're in their offices and they're helping incubate every facet of the company. Anything that we need, they work on a, uh, with us. They helped us build a store, which is one of the first things. So the Steelers have uh, shop.steelers.com and, and a significant amount of investment into their operations for a great store. They helped us clone that, at, uh, and, and we got it done pretty quickly. And so we have... Hopefully, in the next six months to a year, one of the premier merchandising operations in esports as it relates to teams. Um, and two, uh, we are is every bit of an events company as we are a team. So we're game developers. Uh, seem to uh, we want to match them in their life cycle. So basically, if they want the game to be popular and they want to market it, market it, we can help them with that. If they want to do online or in-person tournaments, we'll help them with that. Or if they want us to manage teams in their games, uh, that's something that we'll do. So uh, we're focused on all pieces of that uh, from the game developer's perspective and help, trying to help them be successful. Awesome. Sounds great. How did the Steelers get involved with, with you guys? heavy amount of politicking by myself, um, some strategy. Uh, I, I think it starts with creating a minimum viable product and demonstrating competency when you have a PUBG team uh, go to the World Finals where approximately 60 million people saw the Knights play uh, over a couple days. Uh, helps you 
catch some eyes and then developing a 220-page business plan uh, wow. and full projections uh, on what you're going to do um, uh, and, and a well-thought-out plan. And I think my past experience lended to some credibility where once uh, we, we we got through inner circles and they took the time to learn, and I think they – I think they were investing in me personally, and yeah. I, I don't take that lightly. So we're just over here just working nonstop to make something happen. That's awesome. Uh, so there's a like a huge mis- misconception that gamers or esport athletes, you know, they just play games. And I've heard m- many times before it can't be healthy for you, so on, so on. But I've also heard on the other side that. Many esports teams actually live very similar lives to athletes. They work out, they do all this different conditioning for their mental ability to, to focus for for long periods of time, and so on, so on, so on. What's what's the process like with your team? What's the culture like? So I think it's first about defining goals and working backwards from that, and asking what we think to achieve that goal. What do we need to do? How many hours do we need to put in? What type of deliberate, purposeful practice we will put in? Uh, the repetition and the understanding of, of what we need to do to accomplish it is, is typically how I break it down. So for esports teams, it's if-then scenarios to understand. So they're not manufacturing teamwork anymore, meaning that they're just going into a server and talking about what they're going to be doing. That they've already gone into a practice server and established what their likes and dislikes are and how they're going to contribute to success and what happens when they do X, does, the, does their teammate do Y and when, and developing a whole understanding and framework of communication, terminology, uh, all of that it goes both within our staff and our players. So it's a whole, uh, in another life, I used to be uh, one of the more successful instructors for esports. And I think that it's a mix. The secret sauce would be, um, I don't think it's in the server playing competitive talent. I think it's, I think most of the top players know what to do. They're just not doing it. So the disconnect between knowing what to do and doing it is where success really lies and uh that, that's a lot of what we teach very nice so we know that esports right now it's um it's blowing up on on many different verticals i mean even it goes down to football you know the the, the yep. whole range basically where would you say is is the future of this sport going like in which direction well, I think it's important to just identify the genres of games that have already come up. I classify it as uh, uh, kind of an evolution. Uh, gen- Generation 1 esports is where game developers uh, ideated and created games that they couldn't see too far, uh, so they made what they saw, and they made physical representations of traditional sports your NHL hockey, your Madden product, your basketball, your NBA 2K, uh, that, that those types of products were basically representations of, of, of traditional sports. 
And then Cube got really creative, and they started developing MOBAs. Obviously, StarCraft, StarCraft Two, that type of game. Um, you know, World of Warcraft went into PvP, and that turned into Dota or League of Legends. That genre of a game, and then obviously you have your fighting games, uh, FGC and Smash. Um, so it's it's important to understand the history of the game and and the genre of it so when i see overwatch and people talk about it being a new game i don't think it is i think it's a class-based shooter that was team fortress or team fortress 2 um and now it's a culmination of i'm taking some of the roles and classifications from league of legends with their style of character and throwing that into an fps um with the class-based shooter with height differential and and different game structure. And then you see Battle Royale come out in the last two years and how successful that's been. So I think that there's a diminishing return sometimes with the amount of players in games and the amount of experience you have around a holistic world, like uh, Fortnite, for example. Yeah. And I'll give you a reason. If you're thinking about how brands and sponsors can support this and how brands, like the Knights, should be a part of these games. Um, the way that you're thinking about it, or the way that we're thinking about it, is, well, in a 1v1 game like Rocket League, um, where it's the Knights brand versus another brand, like Rogue, that's very simple. It's one-on-one, which means we get the maximum exposure for our brand, and the sponsors get maximum exposure, which means there'll be more revenue for the players, and more rev- more access and impressions from sponsors. <clears throat> so I think when you talk about esports, I think it's important to understand that esports is a, sub- a subsection of, of video games. It's, it's a significant minority, and for it to be able to grow, it needs to have media rights revenue, sponsorship revenue, merchandise, ticket sales, um, all of those. And for that to happen. The product needs to be focused around driving revenue for the teams uh, and the, for, for the game developer, for the team, and for the players holistically. And for that to happen, um, these games need to be centered around what's going to drive the maximum amount of impressions both on their broadcast um, and how they're featuring and integrating sponsors for them to be successful. So uh, I think esports in the next couple of years is going to happen where uh, associations where team owners like myself will band together and help each other, help each other monetize, be good partners for the game developers and good stewards and leaders and mentors uh, and create a sustainable ecosystem for the players. Um, and so my short, succinct answer is I think I think the next future of esports happens where game developers work together with teams and the teams are educated on what sponsorship sponsors want. Uh, and once those products get a little bit further developed, um, a sustainable ecosystem of esports, both in FGC and Smash and first person shooters and class based shooters and MOBAs and battle royales uh, and anything new that comes out, uh, potentially in with VR or augmented reality. Um, will have uh, sustainability within them because 
they'll they'll have uh, money coming through from brands and sponsors to help to help make it a real esport. Wow, that's um, a, lo- a lot to take in. But so you so you so you really believe that AR could be a huge part of the, of the future of esport and VR. Yeah, I, I think it's going to start with augmented reality. I think VR has a lot to, a lot a lot of challenges. Um, augmented reality, where the fans can see something at home that you can't really see in person, I think is the next future for traditional sports at home uh, and, and and esports. If you're thinking if you're watching a football game, you know why am I not watching Juju and see his speed of when he's running down the field? And then when he gets hit, the impact of the, how hard he got hit, or um, you know the how how hard the ball hit his hands when he caught it or didn't catch it or something like what, whatever stats can impact the game to make a better broadcast and viewership experience is what I think is going to happen with esports over the next couple of years. Awesome. Um, so basically, you, you've just answered my my next question about the future. Uh, yeah. So now you've been in this industry for a few years. If you could go back and do things any differently, what's a few things that you would go back and do basically differently? Hmm. I, I probably wouldn't have left the industry uh-huh. um, for a couple of years. It put me at a significant disadvantage to come back in, um, although I, I'm catching up. Two, when I came back in, I wouldn't have been as pompous or as arrogant as when I did come in. Yeah. Um, so if I could take that back, I would. Because so I was a bit of, uh, was a bit of a tool when I first came back in because <laughs> I was so insecure that I had left for so long, or that I left that I'd been something I had loved had blown up, and I I desperately wanted to regain uh, my position and. Uh, I, I want to be a part of it, um, and I'd sacrifice so much to do it. It'd be like it'd be like if you waited in line forever to go see a movie for like, or, or to buy that special product for like 14 days. You slept in a tent, and it was just terrible, and it was rain and snow, and then you got out of line right before you know that they they opened the doors. Yeah. Um. So then you would just be a jerk and try to push yourself back into line. You know, it's kind of like yeah, yeah. yeah. Back in time, I would have done that. I don't normally live in in uh, could have or would have. I just usually try to focus on, you know, what I can do better uh, uh, from the mistakes uh, that I make and not make them again. So really, that's it. I mean, you did all all the all, all the hard yards. Uh, I mean, you you, yeah. you were there when not many were. So yeah, it's um. It's absolutely crazy, but you know it's never too late, and now you're you're doing great things. So it's awesome. All right, um, James, uh, it's been awesome. We've we've had an amazing chat. Before I let you go, where can we find you online? Uh, you can go to my Twitter at James O'Connor. So James J E M J A M E S O C O N N O R. Or you can just go to the Knights and follow the Knights. Phenomenal. Awesome, awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, James O'Connor from the Pittsburgh Knights, thank you very much for joining us on the Sports Finder podcast. Thank you very much.
Thank you for listening to the Sports Finder podcast. We'll catch you on our next episode. Y'all ready for this?